Welcome into an emergency Buff Stampede Radio. I'm lucky to be joined by Matt Smith following the news that Pat Shermer is expected to take over play calling duties. It was first reported by Brett McMurphy of the Action Network and uh, Adam, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN has since come out and said that uh, Shermer and Sean Lewis are going to be co-offensive coordinators for Colorado. So uh, we haven't heard anything official from the school. My guess, Matt, is we probably won't hear anything until after the game tomorrow. Yeah. And even after the game, I don't know how much we're going to get. Right. I mean, we might get a little bit, but I don't know how much of it we're going to get unless this is just wild. I got off the air this morning. I was filling in for Mike Evans doing the morning show for us. And I got off the air. And literally, as I'm walking out of the studio, the last segment we do is previewing tomorrow's game. And they stop me from I'm walking down the hall and I hear Matt, Matt. And I come running back. They're like, Sherber is now calling the plays. And I it was funny because I was just going over the points of, you know, why I don't anticipate them to really change much because we haven't seen an example of them changing much. And wow, I mean, to get this news today, the day before a game, you know, and look, I think that there is a lot of this that I expected, but I didn't expect it right now because yeah. who would, right? This is a bold move and you're seeing nationally a lot of response that there's a lot of, you know, people that are like, whoa, are you kidding me? You know, middle of the season, this is the type of decision you're going to make. I don't see it that way because I think we have a little bit of a different lens, Adam, than a lot of these national guys do because covering this program is not like covering your average power five college football program. Yeah, it's it wasn't shocking to me, but it was surprising, like you said, yeah. because of the timing. And, you know, Colorado they've underachieved offensively. I think it's fair to say that. I think even Sean Lewis would tell you that, right? Based on kind of their expectations going into the season, uh, they're ranked tied for sixth in the PAC 12 in scoring offense. And statistically it's one of the best Colorado offenses that they've had. But when Shadur Sanders is your quarterback, uh, your expectations raise as a result of that. And uh, this is an offense that should be among the most electric in the country. And we've seen it at times against TCU and uh, the second half against USC uh, late against CSU. There've been glimpses of, of this looking like one of the top offenses in the country. The consistency just hasn't been there. And, and, uh, you know, it always comes back to the protection issues and the lack of, uh, you know, just being one dimensional offensively. It's always come back to those two things. Yeah. So I think, you know, like, let's just start at the beginning of why we think this happened. I think that's a, at least that's kind of how I got, you know, that's in my head. That's where I'm at, at least right now. So first two weeks, you come out of TCU, everything looks great. In fact, Sean Lewis looks like a genius. We're all lauding him for his efforts. He called a, a fantastic game. Then Nebraska, another slow start, right? The, the first slow start of the year, they didn't come out of the blocks very hot. Eventually, they they separated themselves by not, but not by a very large margin. They should have won that Nebraska game by more than they won it by. And then against Colorado State, that was the first sign of a major red flag for me about this offense. That's a program you should be able to lean on with your ground game, right? You should be able to run the ball. You should probably have close to 200 yards rushing if you're going up against Colorado State. They have one of the worst rushing defenses in the country. In fact, I think CU is 128th. I think CSU is 129 right now. That's correct. And so, yep. 
Yeah. And so going into that game, I expected a heavy dose of Hankerson and I thought we'd see some McCaskill at that stage and Dylan Edwards. I thought we'd see, but we didn't at all like Shadur. What did he finish with? He got, it had to finish with close to 50 passing attempts in that game. And that was a major red flag for me because they didn't need to do that. That was how they designed their game plan. And to go into it like that, knowing that Shadur has been pressured a lot the first two weeks and to not adjust and want to establish your ground game was a red flag for me because they had Oregon and USC coming up. You're not beating Oregon and USC if you don't run the football. And so I talked to coach prime about it. I think that was the first time I brought it up to him as far as run pass balance after the game. And then on Tuesday, and that was when we first started to understand his philosophy about if the running game is ineffective, he doesn't want to use it. He, I believe his first statement to us was if, if we're not gaining yards on the ground or it's one to two yards per carry and it's ineffective, why keep doing it? I don't believe in that. And that was another red flag of going, okay, well, that kind of goes against every adage that I've ever been told where you run the ball short, you know, one, two yard gains in the first half. Eventually those things open up, but you have to do it. It's almost a non-negotiable because you can't be one dimensional. If you're one dimensional, you're easy to solve. And I think Colorado, because of the fact that they didn't have any tape out, right, there wasn't anything for TCU to go off of with this new hodgepodge, definitely had the advantage matchup-wise and schematically because what would Sonny Dykes know to prepare for? He, he couldn't possibly know what to prepare for with all the new moving pieces. I mean, he had some stuff from Kent State, and you had previous tape of these guys in different spots, but that wasn't indicative of what you'd see as a new collective. And so I think as that started to wear off, and as Colorado refrained from making anticipatory adjustments to their game plan and continuing to roll out the same things, by the time we got to that CSU game, that was when my alarm bells started going off. Like, where is the disconnect and how do they not understand that they need to learn to establish a ground game now so they can have it later? And they chose not to do that. And they did get by with Shadur being essentially 100% of their offense, right? So that was that was where it's the red flag started. <clears throat> and then Oregon happened. They didn't really run the ball because they got down faster. You could say Bob's your uncle, 14 to 6. And against Oregon, that's an insurmountable you know, lead. Then USC happened, and they didn't run the ball a ton until the second half or until they got down 21, and then they ran the ball really well, right? They had run for like 200 yards in that game, didn't they? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that happened. And then you're thinking, okay, they're starting to figure some things out here, right? Like this offense needs to be multidimensional. Well, you know, you play Arizona State and, again, refuse to run the football primarily, and you're like, wow, that's a one-in-five team. You really ought to should have been able to run the football there. The run-pass balance is all out of whack. And then Stanford happened. And Stanford, I think, was the, the biggest uh-oh moment for me. And I know I've been talking a bit, but this is a nuanced situation. It's mm -hmm. very complex. So against Stanford, you get out to the 29-0 lead. You're five wide to the boundary pretty much the entire game. Everything is working really, really well. But in the second half, there was no adjustment. They came back out with the same game plan. And there was another red flag because I'm going, man, you know Stanford is going to adjust to what you're doing. You just did the same thing for an entire half. They're going to figure some of this stuff out. They're going to start sending pressure. And Colorado didn't run the football. They came out in their first drive of the second half. They got the ball first. They went three and out with three passes. They gave it right back to Stanford. And the second drive was the same thing. Or It wasn't three and out. They went. It was four and out, technically, but it was four passes. And so 
I'm sitting there and going, okay, so you know Stanford is going to come out and adjust to you, but you don't come out and try and run the ball to shorten the game, to reduce the number of possessions. And then it continued to the point where it went through the entire second half and into the second half and overtime. And at that stage, you couldn't counter. That's the problem is there haven't been any mid-game counters. Like even game to game, they've been struggling, but mid-game, man. There just haven't been many counters. And so that was when there that was when the alarm bells really started going off for me. And then you and I met on the bye week with William, and we did the bye week podcast. And I said to you, I go, okay, now Sean Lewis has two weeks off. Do you self-scout and what do you find out, you know, about your team? And how do you come out and approach the the game at UCLA? Adam, it was the same. It was the exact damn same. Five wide to the boundary. And for the entire game, that defense kept them involved, right? They kept them in the game. It was a one-score game. And Colorado abandoned the run completely. And I looked at you when we were in L.A. after the game, and I said, did they run the ball at all in the second half? And we weren't sure until someone else said to us, the the first time they ran the ball in the second half was, I want to say, was six and change left to go in that second half. And before that, it was the last play of the first half. They, there was a stage at that moment where I think it was 34, 35 passes to seven design running back runs. What is happening here? Like there is a serious disconnect. And then I asked Coach Prime afterwards, right? He wanted to stay and talk to us a few more minutes. And I asked him point blank about Sean Lewis. And he got upset with me a little bit. He goes, don't put me on the spot like that. And then he kind of laughed and he goes, I think all of our coaches are doing pretty good. But nice try, you know, valiant effort. You know, I I was in that chair for 17, 18 years, and, you know, I I know what you're trying to do. Adam, I really wasn't trying to do anything. I was just trying to give him the opportunity to answer because I was about to be critical of Sean Lewis. And so I wanted to give the head coach an opportunity to at least have his side of it heard. But he confirmed pretty much all he needed to with the way that he responded. And then, of course, you see what happens now this week. I think we can tie all these pieces together. So I think there's some more stuff to it, but that is the biggest reasons I had. How about you? Well, you mentioned Sean Lewis's history at Kent State. This is a really good offensive mind. Uh, And, you know, that was a tough program to succeed in. This is That was a Kent State program that was – consistently playing three power five programs out of conference every year. Um, His offense looked as good against Georgia last year in 2022 than any offense in the country. And so um, it's been perplexing to me. And um, I do wonder, I think some of the procedural stuff is a result of you're implementing this scheme, uh, up-tempo scheme with brand new players. And and maybe it takes time to build that system. Uh, But when you make this change, eight games into it, I mean, it's pretty rare that it heads back in the other direction, right? To where uh, somebody gets demoted from the full-time offensive coordinator to co-offensive coordinator, and then they get back into that role. So um, it's a pretty bold move in that sense, because um, you're you're making a statement here by making this, this decision. But it's so hard, Matt, because we're not we're not flies on the wall when some of these decisions are being made offensively. And so I don't understand where the reluctance to run the football comes from. Um, Is there, you know, is that all on Sean Lewis? Is that coach prime as well? I don't know the answer to that question. So it makes it harder to critique what's been taking place with the play calling. That's exactly right. 
And that is exactly why I asked Coach Prime after the UCLA game about it, because I wanted to give him an opportunity to make a statement because they have not made Sean Lewis available to us in the media all year since the season started. Right. So he is the de facto public face of the offense. So I gave him the opportunity to, to respond and he responded the way he did. Now, I think to your point, the perplexing part of it is, okay. so Coach Prime told us after the Colorado State game that he doesn't subscribe to running the ball if it's ineffective. Well, over the coming days and weeks, his tune changed. He talked about and acknowledged the fact that they were one-dimensional, that they have to run the football better. And then every time they came out and played, it was completely contradictory to at least what I interpreted was him learning about his team. I think they had they had a, a vision of how they wanted to play this season. And I don't, and I think they overrated their team a little bit to the point where I think they struggled a little bit, realized that maybe there were some struggles because of the lack of talent in some position groups that they just weren't going to overcome. And okay, yeah, we cannot put everything on Shadur's shoulders. We don't have the offensive line to support going five wide with no extra protection and expect to keep him upright, flat out. And I think he eventually learned that. They also don't have the defense to do that either because in the hyper-tempo offense, and I talked about this since the beginning of the year, I love it. You want to play at the up-tempo at altitude. You want to take advantage of, of you know your home field advantage and wear teams out in the second half. But if the hyper-tempo offense is ineffective and you're not rushing the football, you're racing yourself off the field on three and outs, and you don't have the defense that can support that. So if you don't have the offensive line that could support being in five wide and throwing the football and being the air raid offense all game long, and you don't have the defense, you don't really put yourself in a position to succeed. But you talked about perplexing. Coach Prime has also told us numerous times that he, tr he trusts Shadur more than anybody, right? And he also told us at the beginning of the year, he hired Sean Lewis to take what they're doing to the next level, Right. And we've heard from Andre Hart that he lets you do your job. But when you step out of line, he comes and he'll tell you about it. So I struggle to understand how much he was really involved in the game plan. But I don't believe he's involved in game as far as telling Sean Lewis what to call. But that's that's, I guess, my best speculation. But I really don't believe that to be the case. And it sucks that we have to kind of speculate on some of this stuff because yeah. uh, you, you don't want to have to do that. And uh, I guess more speculation would lead me to to think that if Shadur Sanders and Sean Lewis just aren't meshing and it's clear, then maybe that's why the timing of it as well, because, you know, Shadur's eligibility clock is ticking pretty loud. You know, he's got four games left this season. And, and if, uh, those of us that cover the program are lucky. He'll be back for another year, but that that's it. And so you got to get this figured out and then you throw on to it. Okay. Is Pat Shermer now, uh, you know, the top candidate to be the play caller uh, going forward. And, and maybe this is a trial period for four weeks that you can see how that meshes together. I, he had been Pat Shermer been in the NFL for 25 years before that. I don't follow the NFL all that well, but um, you know, I do. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm going to get your thoughts on there. But yeah. my, my real impression of him is that just he's a very cerebral human being. Um, and uh, it doesn't necessarily seem like Sean Lewis's history meshes completely with his philosophies as a play caller. Correct. Yeah, I think that one's a little tougher. I would just say that there there's another element to it. Because 
you know, Brian posted this number that he said that at Kent State, you know, they ran the ball like 60% of the time and CU, I don't know, is running the ball like 42% of the time right now. But the difference is at Kent State, they also didn't have the quarterback, right? So like adding to the layers of complexity and trying to figure out what's going on, that's also another wild card to it. So to bring it back to Pat Shermer, as you're asking me here, yeah, I would say that Pat Shermer has more of a traditional, more run pass balanced approach to football. Now, Shermer was a you know former NFL head coach, and he was also an offensive coordinator in several stints. Now, he won the assistant coach of the year in the NFL award, I want to say in 2017. Because the Vikings, he had, right? Yeah, yeah, because he had a top 10 offense. But outside of that, his offense is predominantly finished near the bottom of the NFL, bottom 15 in the NFL, culminating in his most recent tenure with the Denver Broncos. That was really rough, really rough. And he took a lot of the blame. But as we've had some more time to absorb what's really gone on with the Broncos, look, at there was an entire coaching staff that has come and gone since he was a part of a coaching staff, right? There were more problems than just Shermer, but there were a lot of issues because and this is going to sound ironic, but he refused to adjust and adapt. And it's a lot of the same stuff that I just talked about with Sean Lewis, which is a bit of a red flag, but it is a different game. And I think Pat Shermer has taken stock of his football life. When we first talked to him, when he got to campus, it seemed to me like he was a guy that was a little tentative to take that role. Like it was a, it was a bit of a pride swallowing effort, right? He, he was an NFL head coach, NFL offensive coordinator, and now you're an offensive analyst in college. You haven't worked in college in like 25 years. You kind of got to swallow your pride a little bit. And I could tell that he wasn't necessarily comfortable with it, but clearly as the season has gone on, he's become more and more of a person that coach prime has relied on based upon his experience and has clearly earned his trust. And I would just say that this offense could be called by just about any play caller and average damn near 30 points. That's how much talent they have, in my opinion. That's nothing against Sean Lewis. I just think you have a lot of talent on this offense. And so if Coach Prime is looking at it, and this is what I think it came down to. If Coach Prime was sitting there looking at it, going, okay, we got four games left. My son just had to get a pain-killing injection shot at halftime of our last game because we can't protect him. I've got an offensive coordinator that can't come up with enough creativity or wrinkles or, you know, can't adjust mid-game well enough to, you know, get us over the offensive lulls that we're having. There is zero balance in our attack. We're not supporting our offensive line. We're making things way harder on Shadur. And quite frankly, if we keep going down this path, at a certain point, Shadur is going to get really hurt. And if Shadur gets really hurt, the whole thing is up in flames for the next two years for their goals, right? I mean, you can't go into next season talking about the, the type of lofty expectations they want us to be talking about if Shadur's coming off, God forbid, knock on wood, an ACL injury if he keeps getting killed. Because currently, Adam, he's on track to be the most sacked quarterback in a single season in college football history. In college football history. So I don't think that Prime sat there and went, you know what, let's, I know it hasn't worked, but let's give it a shot again. No, he's not a very patient person. And he's talked to us many times about how he wants to win right now. And I think he saw a problem that was only actively getting worse. Now, here's a tie-in. We also know he hasn't been happy with the offensive line. Who's the offensive line coach by? Bill O'Boyle. Lewis and O'Boyle came together. I think he hasn't been happy with the whole protection structure and with a lot of it. And I think in his mind, 
we're going to find somebody else that can help out. And we can't get rid of you completely right now. So we're going to make you co-OCs, the final four. And as it stands, I would be surprised if Sean Lewis is back next year. How much can you mask the offensive line issues with scheme by running the football more, by theoretically maybe getting those guys' confidence a little bit up as a group? Um, I mean, it's it's not going to be a great group in 2023. I think we can say that because the guard play, just you don't have the talent at that position. Um, and so it's ceiling as a group for development is what it is. And even Coach Prime mentioned that, you know, they do like – some of the guys that, that will get better with seasoning, but also mentioned that we've got to go out to the portal and get new offensive linemen. How, how much can you expect that group to get better in the final month of the season? I don't know. I, I think that remains to be seen. I don't think anybody has the answers there yet, but I can tell you that running the football and balancing out the offense is a really good place to start. And if for some reason, for some reason, prime must've felt like Sean Lewis wasn't the guy to do that. Now, I want to say something. This could all change if tomorrow night they come out and throw the ball 50 times. Like if tomorrow night they come out and throw the ball 50 times, then Sean Lewis has been made a scapegoat in this situation. I don't believe that that is the case. I really don't believe that because Prime has told us that he's, and maybe in not so many words, but from what we've known about him, I believe he's learning. And whether or not he he is going to actively come out and tell you, you know, I know he said, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this, but there is a whole new layer, you know, for, for uh, of coaching at the power five level that you could get away with a lot of, you know, covering up your deficiencies at Jackson just because you out-talented a lot of teams, but you can't do that here. How much better can it get? Well, let's see. They lost the UCLA game, what, 28-16. And the only reason they did is because they just weren't ever in that game. You and I both sat next to each other at UCLA and said, boy, if you got one of the touchdowns on those first two drives, man, you know, that was a huge missed opportunity. That's a close game for all intents and purposes. You know, they cover the spread there, but it was one score for most of that game. I'd say if you run the ball against UCLA, that's probably a different game. Stanford, that's a different game. Those two right there, if they somehow turn into wins, that's bowl eligibility. So to me, I think it could really help. I do. I think it could make a big difference. Now, are they going to be able to pull it off on a week's notice? That I don't know, because Oregon State is damn good. Good thing is we don't have to wait too long to find right. out how this yeah. is going to look, right? Uh, we're yeah. obviously doing this emergency pod the day before Colorado's homecoming game. I said Oregon State 35-27. I don't really think this news is going to change my prediction. Uh, what, what are your thoughts going into this one? I had a sinking feeling in my chest yesterday after watching the well-off media video because Coach Prime went back to the Buffalo heads first into the storm well uh, in his messaging, which, you know, I love the message, but it triggered a little PTSD from the last time that we heard that uh, around this program. It didn't give me a great feeling heading in, but that aside, look, this would be the first time that they fall below 500 if they lose this game. I think they're going to really come out and pull out all the stops. And clearly, if you remove Lewis as play caller, I don't know what more you could possibly do during the season. I think Oregon State eventually wins. What'd you say, 35-27? Yeah. That feels about right. That feels about right. Based upon what we have seen, 35-21 kind of feels right. I am going to say 35-31, and maybe that's me being a little hopeful, 
Yeah. But I just don't know at the end of the day that they're going to be able to put it all together because we haven't seen them put it all together this year. And if they find a way to do that with Pat Shermer, that I mean, Coach Prime will be looked at as a genius. But if it goes the other way, Adam, and they only score like, you know, nine points in this game, he's going to be he, he will be heavily criticized come Monday morning. For sure, by by pretty much everyone around the country, he's already being criticized. So again, like like I said when we started this, there's a lot that national people couldn't possibly know that's that's been going on behind the scenes. A lot of the confusion that you and I are talking about, there is a disconnect, but we can't figure out where it is simply because we're not privy to those meetings. We're not a fly on the wall, as you said. So there's something amiss. Let's see if Coach Prime was able to put his finger on it is kind of how I would surmise it. Awesome. Great stuff, Matt. I appreciate you being able to join me on short notice. And uh, it's still kind of in the processing stage, I feel like, with with news like this. You, you start to yeah. rack your brain about, okay, what, what were all the intricacies and things that led up to this point? And um, there's some details missing in there, like you said, that uh, I'm sure will we'll come out in due time and, and it'll make more sense. Okay. As we navigate further into the future, but uh, how many carries does Anthony Hankerson get tomorrow night? <laughs> how many? How about just can we just do how many rushing attempts as as a team total? Yeah, there were By 11, 11 run. design runs against UCLA. So um, I would set the over under at uh, with this change. Got to be over twenty. If you, right? if, you, if you take out sacks, obviously, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. twenty point five. Uh huh. Has to be over twenty. Anything under 20, and you can't justify demoting somebody and completely rocking the ship like that, right? Like you've got to be, you've got to clearly show that you're taking a different approach. So, yeah, I would say over 20. I would say, let's say minimum 25 carries tomorrow night. Probably way off, but let's just hope they do. We'll see. All right, Matt. Thanks again. Appreciate you and appreciate everybody out there for tuning in.